Judges 13, 1 through 5. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of Danite, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not four children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razors, no razors shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite scrap from the womb, and shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bonnie. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. If you're new, as has been said this morning, welcome. We're very, um, we're very glad you're here. Now, I'd love to get to know you. Um, by way of introduction, I have a gutter, so just want to give you all a heads up on that. We'll kind of come in and out as, as, uh, as we go. And um, yeah, there's a lot um, going on here today. We've got Valentine's Day. Um, this is the weekend at the U of A. You can take back to Pac-12, number Pac-12 in basketball. Um, we have a some of you don't even know that's going on right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the number one seed in the, in the Pac-12 is what we're uh, looking for. But um, yeah, again, Arizona State Day, Why I Love Where I Live Day, um, that's uh, very exciting and stuff as well. And um, we're going to get into it here pretty quickly because we have a lot to cover this morning. Um, we're looking at Samson. So we've been in this series of Judges. And we've walked through this time where um, kind of it, it highlights a particular judge or somebody basically that God sent to deliver his people. And our tendency is to look at that person and perhaps maybe way some of us, probably most of us, have gone about it before. Is we hear about one of these judges, you know, Gideon or Samson, and we hear like, oh, Samson was strong, be like Samson, or be faithful, you know, or be in. What we've actually seen is, no, the hero of Judges is clearly God. That he's faithful and he works through really unfaithful people. In fact, these judges are not heroes at all. And um, so we're going to be looking at Samson and, um, and, and who? Here, Samson and Delilah. If you're like me, you want to say Delilah, right? How many of you know that? Yes. The station, I don't even know what station that is, but there's a woman. I don't know if her actual name is Delilah, but she is a host on their radio and plays all these happy love songs. And, um, so whenever I say Delilah, you guys may be thinking, what are you going to say? Delilah. Um, so go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to, uh, to Judges 13. And if you don't have a Bible with you, if you can hold your hand up and keep it up, hold it up high, and somebody will get you a Bible. Um, También si necesitas en español, um, tenemos solamente levantamos la mano y diga español. Um, somebody will get you a Bible in Spanish. I want to make sure everybody can have a Bible that they can read. And, and if you don't have a Bible, um, you do now. Okay, this is our gift to you. Um, so we want to make sure that you can, you can have a Bible and keep it. And while we're getting there, um, let me just set up where we're headed, where we think some of this. Okay, so we've seen a cycle continue from the very beginning of Judges. We've been in a cycle that has gone something like this. The people sin and they turn away from God. They forget that God created them in His image. That God said, you will be my people. I will be your God. Live all of life and flourish out of your relationship with me. Um, let me define you. And so the people forget that. They simply put, they choose not God. That's what sin kind of comes down to. They say, no thanks. They turn away from God. And then an oppressor comes. God oftentimes sends an oppressor and they are oppressed. They're in slavery. They're in brokenness. And that leads them to kind of open their eyes and say, oh yeah, God. And they cry out to God. There's this, that's this supplication. And then God sends a deliverer, as we just talked about, an imperfect one, but one nonetheless who will um, save them at that moment from um, oppression. And so there's a savior, and then there's a time of rest, and that cycle is continued. We see that's the cycle of sin. And hopefully if you've been here throughout the series, this image has gotten in your head. That the cycle of sin, many of us, just like these people, embrace in our lives, goes around and around and around, but not like a merry-go-round, 
more like a toilet. It kind of just gets worse and worse and worse. And in fact, as we'll even see today, um, some of the different elements of the cycle get taken out. As sin continues to take over, it just gets uglier and uglier and worse and worse. And what we'll see in Samson, okay, what I want us to see, I'm just going to kind of show my cards in the very beginning so you don't hear, be like Samson, and again, or any of the judges, so you don't think, you know, we're out your hair long and be like Samson, or you feel the inclination to name your dog or your son or something, Samson, because, oh, Samson, honor God, and I'm going to name my kid. If you name your kid that, that's fine, but don't let that be why. Because what we see in Samson is this. You don't see a strong man to copy. Instead, what you see is a weak man who points to the hero that we need and are longing for. That's the most clear um, message in Samson. So as we cover four chapters, we're going to walk through this and we're going to see a miraculous birth. Samson's miraculous birth. And then we're going to see that Samson embraces and lives a life of disobedience. Constantly. And then we'll see that Samson is a leader, but he leads out of selfishness and ineffectiveness. And then ultimately we get to Samson and Delilah, that's right. When you wanted to say it, let's sing Samson and Delilah, and we see their deceit and death. So that's where we're that's where we're headed. And again, let me just call us all out here, okay, because we need this. As we approach this story, as we swing the pendulum from okay, Samson is not this hero to shape our lives after. Don't go to the other extreme distinction. Thousands and thousands of years ago, nothing to do with my life today. But let's read and look through the lens of, God, how do I live my life like Samson? How do I reflect the people of Israel that lived in that cycle, that political cycle, that forget God? They turn their lives away from him. How does that reflect me? And how do I need to look to the true hero of the story? The only hope for life, meaning, and purpose. The only strong man who can rescue his people. So with that, let me pray. And let's all um, pray now and ask God to open our hearts and to bring us to a point of looking in the mirror and then from there looking to him. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, um... I do thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Um, thank you for the Valentine's Day. It's fun, and it's fun to get dressed up and to eat, you know, candies and um, or to give flowers to loved ones and all these things. It's fun Lord, to celebrate Arizona's favorite day. And I even pray that as we walk through this, we even see some really clear implications and applications. But Lord, let us um, break down the sacred and secular divide that sin has brought into our lives where we separate um, loving you and a relationship with you and honoring you from other aspects of life. And um, Lord, let us all see that any, any corner of our life that is defined by not God, that is defined by sin, is broken and needs healing and needs saving from. So Lord, I pray that you will lead us to the cross, and you will lead us to see the clarity of Jesus, the hero, for our lives, for the world, for your church. Lord, we uh, pray these things in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Alright, so, in uh, Judges 13, let's just pick up and, and get into it. Um, as I said before, we're not going to cover every verse today. We're not going to walk through four chapters worth of verses this morning. You can sigh a, sigh a relief there, but... Um, we're, we're going to see the big picture. They were flying through. I just want to again encourage you to read through this stuff. Especially these are captivating stories. There's some crazy stuff, some fun stuff, some horrifying stuff going on here. So we're going to do our best to walk through it together this morning. In chapter 13, verse 1, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines. Are you getting sick of that during that? Again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, good news, I guess, is that's actually the last time we're going to hear that in Judges. Um, this cycle doesn't continue as much. It all kind of unravels and blows up. And we're not going to hear clearly that sentence again. It's the cycle will begin with, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that doesn't mean that they stopped sinning. In fact, all the different, it just becomes so assumed. So constant, like so many of us in our lives, the cycle gets really blurry because there's no longer repentance, there's no longer calling out to God, 
There's just numbness to sin. Numbness to brokenness in the world and in life and in relationship. That they just embrace it. But again, the overarching, we talked about this, the overarching umbrella over the whole book of Judges is that there's no God in Israel, there's no king in Israel, and everybody does what's right in his own eyes. And so that's, again, that is just assumed now that God's taken out of the picture, and we see that blatantly here. So there's no king in Israel. And we saw there um, a promise, though, right? God, God um, showed himself, showed up to a man named Manoah to his wife, who goes unnamed. And if anyone's the hero, the human hero in this, it's her. It's this unnamed woman, the mother of Samson, who is faithful and who responds and, and who trusts God and takes him at his word, and um, yet she goes unnamed, and her husband, Manoah, is also faithful. They're a bit confused, but basically this angel shows up and says, your child is to be a Nazarite. Um, and, and so from the beginning, your child is to be set apart. And if you'll just notice, this is the first one that um, there's a bit of a miraculous nature to because this is the first judge or hero or um, savior, if you will, of Israel that we've seen that is actually set apart before his birth. Right? Every other one um, was basically chosen or kind of selected as an adult or as they were going along in life. But this one, from birth, is set apart. So there's a sense of anticipation growing. Like maybe this is it. Maybe they're finally going to have a hero because there's a miraculous birth that is um, from someone that's not able to have children. And they, he is to be a Nazarite. And a Nazarite is simply put, is you don't cut your hair, you don't touch anything unclean, and, and you don't drink anything unclean. You don't drink any alcohol. You don't drink from the prime, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And the whole idea behind this is that you're set apart. You're set apart and you're, you're constantly ceremonially um, able. It means that you can go before God, that you can relate with God, that you can go on behalf of the people at any time. This sin never creeps in to your life. And again, that language needs to be understood. You're set apart for a purpose. The purpose is of God to deliver and rescue His people. So the anticipation is growing here massively for Samson, right? And his, his parents, we could spend a lot of time there focusing on this whole thing. The angel of the Lord shows up. I'll just briefly say, because I've gotten some emails and a number of you have asked me, is the angel of the Lord Jesus. Is this like a, 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 a pre-incarnate, um, a Christophany, a pre-showing, if you will, of Jesus, a foreshadowing, does Jesus show up? Is that who the angel of the Lord is? Um, and, and, and I'll just say, uh, I don't know. And I don't think anyone can, can just say yes, definitively, absolutely, that's Jesus. I think it likely is. It, it lends itself to think this likely is Jesus. The way people respond, the way people interact, they call him Lord and an angel, as other angels say, no, 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 don't call me that, don't bow down. That's not the case here when we see the angel of the Lord show up. So just in case you're interested, you can read tons on that. I just wanted to, again, kind of answer some of the emails, if you will, all at once. Um, so that's the angel of the Lord. So again, the anticipation here is building, right? There's a miraculous birth. Samson is ready um, to be born. In verse 24, pick up there with me. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zerah and Eshtaol. So, the Lord blessed him. Samson is born, the set apart one, the one that God has promised. Alright? Again, if you're reading this, if you're in Israel, if you're um, a Jewish person reading this, when this, and you're in a time of oppression, and you're living in sin, you're living um, in captive, and you're, you're just, you're not experiencing the flourishing of God in relation to him, you're like, finally, this is it. Like, we finally have the number one draft pick. Like, this is going to change things, right? No. You're the Cleveland Browns. You get, you're the Oakland Raiders. Um, you, get, you get the number one draft pick like every other year, and it doesn't work out for you. Um, and so that's what happens here. I'm a San Diego Charger fan, by the way, so they're not about to not even be in San Diego anymore. So um, I'm going to get my, my clothes in while I can. But basically... No. Like the next verse in, in chapter 14 shows us how this miraculous birth. Finally, the hero is going to show up. And then, chapter 14, verse 1. Samson, 
right? Just earlier, bless the Lord. So Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now give her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives, or among all your people, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Go get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Number one draft pick, right? He's ready. Here we are. I think I'm going to go get a wife from the Philistines. And then you see in his parents' response, like, that's not a good thing here. Why is that? This isn't racial, this isn't national um, prejudice going on here. This isn't, this isn't God or Samson's parents being like, only Israelites. Then you might even see there it says, what about one of our relatives? Like, are they from Arkansas? Like, this, you know, I lived in Arkansas, by the way, for five years, so. Um, no, this is, this is common practice. Distant relatives, you would marry your own people because this was basically God's plan of saying, don't marry someone who doesn't love me and honor me, who's going to pull you away from me. Don't give your heart to somebody who's not going to help, help your own heart of worship flourish, and, and who's basically there's going to be tension and confusion there. And that's in God's plan, again, was to, was to focus in on one people, to set them apart, so that he could reestablish what it looked like for people to have a relationship with him, so that then they could be used to bless the entire world. And we just prayed this morning for a messianic congregation. There's a lot of conversation about that. What's God's plan for the Jewish people? Or even in the very beginning, is it what? It's not fair. Why did God choose to bless one group of people? Well, clearly his plan all along has been to focus in on one people. He made a promise in Genesis chapter 12. He focused in on Father Abraham. Right, Father Abraham, like many sons. Those of you who grew up in the church, you know this, the song's going in your head. When he focused in on Abraham, not because Abraham is special, but he said, through you I'm going to establish the people, that's the people of Israel, and through those people, one name will be established who will bless the entire world. That you will show everybody what it looks like to flourish in relationship with me, great father. And, and the same is true, guys, for you and me today. And if you have a relationship with God, His plan for you is for His glory to be shown through your flourishing and your relationship with Him for the good of others. So that through your relationship, through your interactions, through your own flourishing in life, through every, you're waking up, you're laying down, your, your, your exchange of money, your workplace, your fun, everything that you do for God's glory, for our glory, for the good of others. That's God's plan. And yet Samson's like, I don't want any part of that. That girl, that's the one I want. Go get her. And his parents are like, Samson, why? No, she, surely that's not the one for you. Um, maybe you should go get someone else. And yet, verse 7, what did it say? Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. And the same thing was true up here in verse uh in verse 3, go get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. What's that, what's that overarching verse that we see in Judges? There's no king in Israel, and everyone does what's right in his own eyes. And we see that laser focus here in one person's life. Go get her. She's right in my eyes. I don't care what you're saying, Mom and Dad. I don't care that God himself, or at least one of his angels, revealed himself to you and told you what my life is supposed to look like. I don't care. I love this. And how similar is that to many of us in here today? I want to do what I want to do. I'm talking to all of us here. Whether it's a job you're about to take, whether it's a life decision you're going to make, whatever it is, is our tendency not to show up with our manifesto and say, here's what I'm going to do. Mom, Dad, I've got my life figured out. Here it is. No invitation into the process. Hey, uh, Pastor, I'm going to go do this. Hey, friends, I, here it is. I've already decided I'm going to go take a job across the country. It's just what I'm going to do. It's right in my eyes. But we're told in Scripture that pursuing wise counsel 
and having many surrounding us who, who will point us in the right direction is a good thing, a good place to be. I'll also, I'll focus in on young people because we have a lot here this morning. Which, by the way, I'll just take it aside. Um, if you're not a young person here, we're really, really glad you're here. Um, we we celebrate and we long for a diverse, a diverse congregation that reflects God and His glory and His nature. And we uh, just began something called mentorship within our church, where we want to have cross-generational, socioeconomic, um, cross-racial, every kind of relationship in our communities. We we want to see God's reconciling work at work. Um, on display, and specifically, I think it shows up in decisions. And a lot of young people are in this room right now, and you've got all kinds of decisions. And the one that jumps out to me the most, the one that I see the, the brokenness of, is in our dating relationships, right? It's Valentine's, we can talk about this a little bit. But how many of us show up to our friends, show up in our groups, and say, hey, I'm dating this girl, by the way, where, you know, I'm dating this guy and here's my point. You know, there's no invitation into the conversation. There's no, you know, what do you think about this? Is this a good idea? Is this guy good for me? Is he going to point me toward Jesus? Is he going to honor and respect me? It's just an FYI. And let me tell you, you are a fool if you go about your life that way. If you go about your relationships, if you go about making your decisions, just giving manifestos that you decided apart. Or maybe it's more like this. Maybe you're like, no, I don't do that. I surround myself with a bunch of yes men, maybe even in a Bible study, that everyone's just been able to pray to call one another out to speak truth to one another. And so we just all encourage them, oh, you slipped up too. Hey, me too. We're all, we all do that, right? We're all human. Nobody, oh yeah, you're dating that girl. Good, I'm not going to call you out on that because I'm dating this guy. I'm going to call you out if you don't call me out. If there's no sense of, guys, let's Let's consider what are the plans and purposes of God. For His glory, yes, and for our good. Not in a domineering, strong-handed kind of way. Not where we want to be in a church and play, you know, the dating game. Nothing weird and crazy like that. But if we really believe that God is God, and we are His people, and every aspect of life is meant for our good under His leadership, guys, we've got to love one another in. So again, I love you, and so I've got to tell you, you're a fool if you don't do that. And we see that on display here in Samson's life. It'll only pick up all the more, because then everything is right in his eyes. He goes on, and I'll just explain this kind of crazy circumstances that go on here in, um, in, chapter, in chapter 14. He's basically walking along in uh, the middle verses there, and um, basically he's on his way to take his wife, right, he finally um, makes this um, plan with his parents, and this weird scene shows up here, where basically a lion comes out to attack him, and um, and for some reason, the, the Spirit of the Lord gives him power, and we see that actually on display of why this happens here. And so Samson kills this lion, he doesn't just kill it, he tears it apart. You would know if you were a Jewish person that that makes it ceremonially unclean. He rips this lion apart. And then he just leaves it there. He goes along and he does his thing. He gets married. He's having this feast. He goes back by and he's walking. He sees this carcass out there, this dead lion and a swarm of bees. I don't know if that happens, by the way, if this is a normal thing. But these bees are in the carcass and they're making honey. And so Samson, right, a totally normal thing, reaches in with his hands, grabs a bunch of honey, and just starts eating. And then he goes over to his parents and he gives them some and he gives them some too. And, and, and again, the consequence there is he is now unclean, his parents are unclean, this whole Nazarite vow that he's taken is completely blown up. And that it's just, he's now married an unclean woman, he's given himself to her, he's taken it. And then it goes on where he goes up to, the, uh, to his wedding party, right? Good friend here that this guy is, and he tricks everyone, he wants to, he wants to hustle. He wants to get a little money out of him. So he, he says, like, hey, I've got a bet for you. Um, can you solve this riddle for me? In verse 14, he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And he makes this challenge, and he says, can you, you know, figure this out? And so all the people are like, I'll take that bet before he ends after this. He's like, I don't know. Look, out of the, 
out of the eater came something like, what is all this? This is crazy, I don't understand. So they basically get mad, they threaten to kill Samson's family, and um, so his new wife, basically out of fear, tells him, right? She sells out her husband, you can't blame her for this. She sells out her husband and she tells him, so they come and they tell him and he has to pay up the debt, and he's like, oh shoot, like many of us, he swipes the card, doesn't have enough to pay for it, doesn't have a budget, doesn't have a plan. So he comes back and he's like, oh man, I gotta pay the piper. So he goes, and you know, like any of us can do, he goes and kills a bunch of people so he can take from them, and then go make his his death right. Right, Samson? You should be more like Samson. No. This is ridiculous. He killed all these people, he makes it, and then he throws a temper tantrum. He's mad at his wife. How could you sell me out? Oh, you're you. How could you be so stupid? And she, and so he leaves her. He goes home with his, with his family. And then, picking up in chapter 15 here, we see that the momentum picking up. Samson's miraculous birth doesn't prove to be all that it should be, right? He has a life of disobedience. He's selfish. In chapter 15, after some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Because that's what we all do. We show up with young goats when we want to. So he's going there and he brings a young goat. That's a celebratory feast and an offering that they that. So, but the main point, he shows up and he says, I want to go into my wife. That means he wants to be with her. He wants to have sex with his wife. And the father would not allow him to go in because he said, oh, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. So, just the brokenness and misery, the unraveling of God's people and all this ugliness, and again, it's picking up momentum here, and Samson comes back there, he throws a temper tantrum, and he's like, I'm going to go home with my mom and dad. By the way, this is just a little corporate pre-marriage counseling, all right? Once you get married, no longer run to mom and dad. They can't solve your fights for you. They should not. You are one. Okay, we talked about being equally yoked. I'm not talking about this. We talked about if you get married to somebody and you give your life to them, you need to make sure that you believe the same things and you're both going to push one another toward the Lord's amen and amen a thousand times. If you are now married and you, one of you is not a believer or one of you is walking more strongly than the other, um, the covenant of marriage God takes so seriously. Jesus says plainly, God hates divorce. So if you're unequally yoked now, you're, hey, not yoked, I won't get into all the phraseology there. Simply put, one of you is walking with the Lord and is living in faith in Him and the other is not. Um, you, you, you slug it out together. You, you, you pray for your spouse. You, you, you are one. You're in covenant relationship now. You, you, don't, you, don't, uh, you don't just look away. But what does Samson do? He, he's like, I'm going to my mommy and daddy to solve. Even though I don't listen to them, even though I don't take their advice on the front end, um, I'm going to go to them for help. And then he shows back up. He is so selfish. He's driven by his lust, his greed. Come on. Are we so distant today? Guys, is this hitting home for you and me? His whole life, his schedule, his relationships, everything is defined by him and what he wants and what's best for number one. He is selfish. And he affects everybody that he leads. As is always the case, if you're in a position of leadership and you are selfish, it affects everybody. Always. And it's ineffective. It's bad leadership. And you, and you might be wondering, why does God keep using Samson? God will use bad leaders in spite of themselves to accomplish his purposes. And eventually it will always be revealed where they are. Their character will eventually be shown, and God will always be revealed as the hero. And you'll look back and say, wow, God was patient because he worked even through them. So if you aspire to leadership, it better be for God's glory and the good of others, and from that for your joy. Because eventually it will be exposed that, that God is the hero either way. And in, and in Samson's case, he's selfish, he's ineffective, he's, he's broken, he's, he's cruel, and he hurts all kinds of people. And then it just picks up momentum here. Okay, we're still in chapter 15, in verse 3, Samson says this time, I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines. 
when I do to them harm. And so he, more craziness here, in verse 4, he runs, he gets a bunch of foxes, he ties their tails together, and he gets a torch, he puts it between their tails, and he lets them loose. Go foxes, run free. This is so weird. And they run free. I, I assume their bushy tails are catching fire. I mean, so there's cruelty to animals here. There's disdain for others. He just abandoned his wife. And you'll see the effect here. So these foxes run free. They burn all the crops. They burn all the stuff of the Philistines. And they're mad. The Philistines are so angry. So they go back. And Samson's bad leadership, as is always the case, Selfishness, as is always the case. If you're a husband, if you're a father, if you're a mom, if you're a pastor, if you're a CEO, we all lead in some capacity in our lives. And bad decision, selfish sin, always affects others. And it is on display here in such a terrible way. And the Philistines came and burned Samson's wife and her father was fire. That's, oh, guys, that should make our stomach churn. And if we just read through this like it's a story, we're eating our popcorn, oh yeah, Samson and Delilah, we miss the utter horror of the reality of life lived apart from God. This is the consequence of not God. This is what happens when we turn our back on God and we say, I'm going to do what's right for me. I'm going to look out for number one. We get hurt, we'll see that in a moment. But more often and more tragically, other people get hurt. The people we love, or we should love, the people that have been entrusted to us, in this case, they get burned. And Samson runs and he hides. He says, I'm going to pay him back. And it goes on. The cycle is continuing here in his own life. And he, he strikes these people. And then he runs off. And then Samson's out hiding out, right? The strong man, the hero, he's hiding out. And the Philistines come. Many, they come and they show up and they're going to attack Israel, the people of God, right? And, and, and if you notice, the cycle is so different here. They've been oppressed, but they just assume that's the way life is. And the people of God never once called out to God. They never said, God, help us. God stepped in in spite of them and raised up Samson, not as the hero, but he would work through him. And in fact, earlier in chapter 13, it says that God would deliver the people through Samson and even through his poor decisions. So again, God did work here in spite of all this sin. And so the people of Israel show up to um, show up to, to Samson in verse 11 of chapter 15. It says, Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are, ruler of, are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And then he says to them, like, if you promise not to hurt me, you can take me with you. And he kind of goes in again. He is so conniving. He goes into a little deal. But guys, don't miss verse 11. This is God's people. These are people that God, Almighty God, Creator of heaven and earth, spoke to these specific people and he said, I will bless you. You will be my people. I am the God of richness and wealth who will provide for you, who will meet your every need, not in the way that you always see fit, but I will care for you. I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be like a bridegroom. And like so many of us today, their ears became deaf to the good news of God and became open to the lies of the world around you. Is that, is that the case for you today? Have you accepted some distortion of reality? Look at me. What distortion of reality have you believed and embraced that is utterly broken and not from God? Whatever it might be. A relationship before marriage. It's like, yeah, maybe this is all I deserve. Some form of life, some form of addiction, some form of sin, some form of brokenness, some distortion of good that is actually enslaving Some lie that, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm going to give myself to this and to that, and I'm going to live life in this way. And the shackles are put on, and you're now enslaved, and 
you believe a lie rather than the truth of God's freedom of living life in relationship with Him and dependence upon Him and His provision. So these people show up and they have just assumed a life of oppression. Don't you know? We've got this whole agreement going on with the Philistines. They rule over us. It's, it works for us. And Samson doesn't say, like, oh, no, 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 believe God. No. God's at work here. God's the hero. And they can came along. And God delivers them. And Samson, all along, has been, uh, has been just, just thinking out for himself. And you guys, let me talk about this. We have this event we talked about earlier that I just think is an incredible example. Alex came up, he was humble about it. His wife, Kristen, established this, I don't know what you call it, I don't know. It's an incredible ministry, kind of insider language. But it's, it's, a, it's a cool blend of all of life is all for Jesus. It's living your life in every way for the good of others, for God's glory, and in that for our joy. And what it is, is it's saying, hey, I'm going to connect my faith and what God's doing in my own heart for the, for the good of others. And, I, and God has developed, not distant from, but my relationship with my city, with where I live, is directly connected with, uh, with my own heart and my own faith and my own family. And it's a cool story. You can look at her, her website, whyiloveweriolive.com. And, and this is an incredible picture of living out our faith in and amidst our, our community. Because what you see here, though, is the opposite of that. And many of us are vulnerable to it, and it can only be made right if living in the presence of God with the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, where we give our life to Him and we say, God, let me not, let, let me not withdraw and retreat from society. Like perhaps maybe the, the, the Christian church, maybe fundamental Christianity, if you will, um, historically has done kind of build up walls and throw grenades at culture and society from afar, put Facebook glass out there, do whatever it is, it's kind of we're out here and they're out there. Okay, that's one extreme that is clearly not God's plan and God's purposes for his people. But on the other extreme, you have the people here, the judges, just blaming. The, the, the term that Stephen actually introduced last week is the canonization of Israel. It's the indistinguishable quality of God's people from their surroundings. And guys, this doesn't mean we dress differently. This doesn't mean our, we have stickers on the car. We, you know, those things are good and fine. Um, you know, tattoos are great. All these, whatever it is that wants to show our faith is great. But what this is talking about is, um, it, it is these people just blended in with society and their moral character and what they accepted as, as conventional wisdom. Hear me. It's just the way things are. God's people say that's just the way things are and it's completely indistinguishable from our surroundings, from the community, from the people around us. And that's what these, these, these people and judges are doing. There's a quote, I want to read one commentary that I read, a man named Michael Wilcox said this. And I'm going to come back to the why I love where I live, if you're wondering where I left off with that. Michael Wilcox said this, There is no such thing as a harmonious coexistence between the church and the world. For where there is no conflict, it is because the world has taken over. Where there's no conflict, it's because the world has taken over. So why I love where I live is an example of a picture of living out our faith as God called us to for the good of others, for the good of the city, for the good of our strength, for the good of our neighbor. But there will be conflict. And let me be clear, Christians historically in the last couple hundred years, at least the last hundred years, have done an incredible job of creating unnecessary or of diving into the conflict before it's due time, and of making Jesus not the issue and making something else the issue. All right? And, and defending our own idols and the own things that we've given our lives to and saying, I can attach the Christian label on this. Guys, we have an election coming up. Be wary of this. Attaching Christianity onto some other idol that we give our life to, whatever it might be. Finances, uh, what you name it, right? And then say, oh, it's Christian, therefore it's this. But we just talked about the other side, which just blends in with culture and society. But let me tell you, we're told in Scripture that the cross of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. It is. So if you live your life 
proclaiming that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Or that God is the creator of all. And that he created humans in his image. And he said, this is what it looks like to flourish and live as my image bearer. There will be, there are conflicts in that. Guys, we need to understand that there is a messy tension that is only lived out in relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we are so looking for one extreme or the other where we can hang our hat and just, just step back and just be mindless. But God calls us to live as a light to the nations. And this event this afternoon, I think, is a beautiful picture of living as a light in our community and our surroundings. And so Samson goes on, and as has been the case this um. This cycle has continued, and, and he's selfish, and other people are getting hurt, as I said, it's always the case. And now in the next chapter, chapter 16, we see Samson and Delilah Right. And I don't know why, I don't know the first thing about that, but guys, this is not the relationship, okay? Valentine, it just so happened that Samson and Delilah fell on Valentine's Day. That's about where the romance ends. Okay, this is an ugly, ugly relationship. In chapter 16, verse 1, just in case we keep thinking Samson's the hero, what does he do in chapter 16? So Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. That means he lay with her, he had sex with her. Called to be set apart by God. He's now running after prostitutes. And then going on, in uh, verse 4, it picks up here where Delilah comes on the scene. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. She's a Philistine. She's not of God. She's, um, she doesn't love God. She doesn't love Samson, it seems. And then Samson's like, it's right in whose eyes? In his eyes. And it's right for who? For him. He's not thinking about anyone else. He doesn't care about anyone else. I gotta have her. So he goes after Delilah. And uh, have you ever had a friend like that that's like all about somebody and everyone else is her? Him? Why? Why are you? Come on. Like, no, this isn't good for her. She's, you know, he's not even like good looking, but for whatever reason, the bad guy, I get it, right? And I'm gonna run after the cool bad guy or whatever. And that's what Samson's doing here, but as we've seen, his, his, he's got earmuffs on. He doesn't want to hear it from anyone else. So he goes after Delilah, and he is whipped. Like, from the start, he will do whatever she wants for him. So he goes after her, and the Philistines see this, because they're like, how do we get this guy Samson? How do we take Samson down? And so so she, so he's whipped, and so they go, hey, Delilah, we're going to give you all this money if you'll find out where his power comes from. And so Delilah goes, you know, curls her head, hey, um, can you tell me where all your strength comes from? And so he tricks her, right? And so this broken... And he's, maybe he's wise to it at first, and he's like, oh, it comes from, uh, it comes from this. It comes from, um, if I'm bound by ropes that are new, then my power will be left. And so she's like, oh, okay. And then she calls on the Philistines. Hey, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he right there, he breaks apart these ropes, and he, and he defeats the Philistines. And then she comes back to him, and it is laughable. It's okay to laugh at this. If you read, this cycle happens three times, where she's looking to basically deceive Samson, and she's like, hey, can you tell me how you can be beaten? And he tricks her, and she comes back and says, like, why do you hate me so much? Why won't you just tell me this? Like, come on, baby. Like, I, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied to you. You know, it's, it, I shouldn't have done that. It's this way. And then he tricks her again. If my hair is braided, you know, and I mean, you, maybe some of us have been in this kind of interaction before. You've seen it from afar, and it is laughable. Guys, it's ugly and horrific life apart from God, and also, if we're totally honest, it's laughable. If you take a step back from, sometimes from the brokenness we're in, you see it's a circus that we just accept as reality. The cycle goes on three times, and finally, Let's just be real here. Likely Delilah's not giving Samson what he wants. And he is so full of lust. He wants to hook up with her. 
Finally, the fourth time, he tells you the truth. And he says, hey, if you just cut my, all my hair off, then I'll have no power. So she does it, she cuts all the hair off, and the, uh, and the Philistines come upon him, they try to attack him, they try to beat him up. And what does he do, though? He is so delusional that he goes out and he tries to fight him. He thinks he can still beat the Philistines. He has completely forgotten about he thinks all along that his power belongs to him. In fact, he sang a song earlier in the last chapter you see there. In chapter 15, he, he um, says, With the jawbone of the donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of the donkey, have I struck down a thousand men. He's so proud, he's so arrogant, he forgot that his power and his position is given from God for the good of others, for God's glory. It's all about him. He's so selfish. And now his hair's been cut off. He's like, whatever, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go and, you know, take out these fools. But he can't. Because God's power left him. He gets, he gets taken captive. And then he's there. And he's like this circus trick now for the Philistines. He's blinded. Dies out. They gouge out his eyes. He's getting beaten up by him. Samson's delusional. And now the Philistines are also delusional. Because they let his hair grow back. And you think they would think, like, hey, just in case, we might as well keep cutting this guy's hair. That would be one person's job. Just go, whatever goes, you know. Take the head. But they forget. I mean, it's not because they're, you know, they just have a, a, a um, um, you know, breach of consciousness. and they don't. It's because nobody takes God seriously. There's no God in Israel. Nobody understands the good character and the good power of God. And so Samson's hair grows back, and for the first time, and the only time, in verse 28, Samson actually calls out to the Lord. He hasn't given God praise, he hasn't asked for his help, he hasn't called out to him. God's been working inside of him. Because I'm not going to go into it, because we got to wrap up here, but, man, if your prayer life is only defined by 911 prayers, if it's only, oh shoot, God help me on this one. Um, God is gracious and He meets us where we're at. Alright, I'm not going to say stop doing that because God will stop answering because I don't know if that's true. In fact, in my life, more often than not, God is gracious and constantly gives us what we don't deserve. He, he gives us His ear another time. But man, it's so much richer. The way he designed it is that we would live a life understanding the sweetness, the orienting nature of consistently living a life of prayer, consistently living in community, of consistently living a model day, quorum day before the face of God. And that's what this 40 days that Alex talked about is all about. If you want to talk about that more, it's not too late to start. Jump on the train. You can start whatever. The whole point is not to earn God's favor, to be special or cool or anything. It's to be reminded of the sweet provision of God. And yet Samson, in this one time, calls out to God and says, God, even if just this time, will you please give me the strength to redeem myself? Even there, he's just looking out for another one. He just says, hey, man, they pumped me, and I want to save face. And I want, to, I want to kill these people. So what happens is that he's entertaining the Philistines. There's this huge party going on, a rager. There's thousands of Philistine heads, you know, lords on top of a roof. I can't even quite picture the way this whole, this whole structure is. But there's this whole party going on. And Samson puts his arms on these two pillars that are holding up this whole, this whole porch. And, and, and in one cry, he calls out to God. And he pushes down the pillars. And he takes out thousands of Philistines. God delivers his people. God rescues his people from becoming indistinguishable from their surrounding pagan, idol-worshipping community through a broken, selfish man. And in his death, he does more than he did in his entire life. It says in verse 30, that in his death were more than those he had killed during his life. And guys, as we close here, there's been a consistent theme that is absolutely clear who the hero is and is not. Samson had a miraculous birth. 
He lived a life of deceit and of disobedience. He was a leader who selfishly and ineffectively led others. And in his death, he brought about a partial victory where he killed his oppressors and himself. And yet he points toward the hero. One who would be born even more miraculously. Not just from a barren woman, but from a virgin Mary. Jesus. And then would live a life, not of disobedience, but of constant obedience. And even at the point of great anguish, he called out to God and said, If there's any other way than the cross to rescue my people, let it be true. But not my will, but your will. Jesus lives a life of obedience. Where Samson lived a life of constant disobedience. And Jesus was a leader, not of selfishness and ineffectiveness. When he taught as one with authority, you see that people, crowds came, he loved others, and he said that his, his authority was not something to be grasped, but something to lay down and to humble himself. And so he led others with humility. And finally, in Jesus' death, he established full and final victory. And guess what? He didn't kill his oppressors, you and me, but instead he laid his life down for us. So we were told that God shows us his love, that while we're yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for us. And where Samson's reign, where Samson's rule and his victory ended and his death in the tomb, Jesus was just getting started. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and would establish full and final victory for you and for me, for his kingdom, for all his people. So guys, on this Valentine's Day, as I close here, the most romantic, beautiful story we could ever hear is the story of God, where the bridegroom, Jesus, would pursue and die for his bride, his church, his people, you and me, to rescue us from a laughable, horrific, ugly life of doing what's right in our own eyes and to rescue us into a flourishing life and relationship with God for His glory and the good of others. And in that, our joy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Alright, let's pray.